Showtime! Welcome to the show. I'm Brent Holland. Welcome to Night Fright. Folks, settle in. We're going to be talking about ghosts tonight. We're going to be talking about vampires. Paul Kimball's back with us. Uh, several weeks ago, you know, he was on the show. Hi, Paul. Welcome back. Several weeks Hi, ago, he was on the show. We talked about UFOs. He's a filmmaker out of Halifax. Just to bring you up to speed, those of you that are just joining us for the first time. Um, Nova Scotia, of course, he's written all kinds of great documentaries, one including that uh, is in the archives we just talked about, Best Evidence, Top 10 UFO Sightings. Tonight we're going to be looking at a series that he wrote about ghost cases and another a feature film he's written and produced called Eternal Kiss, which is all about vampires. And as you know, anything with Paul Kimball, we are going to go out there on the edge. It's going to be a great show, folks. Settle in. Strap in. Hang on, here we go! There is a time to question. There is a time for answers. There is a time to challenge. There is a time to speculate. There is a time for change. There is a time for truth. The time is now. Welcome to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. And now your host, Brent Holland. Folks, welcome to Night Fright. I'm your host, Brent Holland. Thank you for joining us tonight. We are going down to Nova Scotia, and we're going to be talking with Paul Kimball tonight. Paul Kimball, as you remember, was on the show several weeks ago. We talked about his Top 10 UFO Sightings Best Evidence documentary, and that's in the archives at www.nightfrightshow.com. Tonight, Paul tr makes his triumphant return, and he's changed his hat. And... Um, we are going to be looking at several things he's uh, created. One of them is called Ghost Cases. The other one is a feature film called Eternal Ki Kisses. Uh, Eternal Kiss, pardon me. Let's start off, Paul. I want to welcome you back to the show. Thanks for joining us. Um, oh, back. It just seems like minutes since we spoke. Um, let's talk about Ghost Cases. What was the uh, inspiration? What was the idea for, for you to undertake I mean UFOs ghosts, vampires are all in the same paranormal realm if you will but usually there's a lot of purity from the UFO guys they don't like I get this a lot especially from the JFK assassination guys they don't like sometimes the fact that I do ghost shows, the UFO shows things like that they want to be strictly associated with all seriousness and things like that you seem to have an eclectic um, view of things. What made you go into the ghost realm? Was there something that sparked your interest from the UFO documentary? Um, yeah, the UFO documentaries ended, and I needed a job. So good answer. Um, good answer. <laughs> there's a there's a producer in Halifax uh, who has a different company than mine. Call, uh, his name's Dale Stevens. I had gotten to know Dale. He approached me as I was winding up. I hadn't started production on Eternal Kiss yet, but 
but he knew that I was going into that. It was the summer of 2008. He said, look, I have this uh, TV series idea about ghosts. It was originally called Maritime Ghosts, mm -hmm. but um, we changed the name to Ghost Cases. The network that he had tentatively sold it to, Eastlink down here, mm -hmm. wanted... Dale had worked in the television industry, but he had never run his own show. So the network said, look, we'd like you to partner with somebody who has. And I had gotten to know Dale. He knew of my interest in uh, the paranormal. So he asked me, he said, look, would you be interested in doing a co-production? And I said, well, when's this, when's this going to happen? And, um, and he said, uh, whenever you want, but it can start in October. I said, great, because I'm wrapping up Eternal Kiss at that time. And frankly, I don't have anything to do. So sure. Plus, I was interested in ghosts. I thought looking at another aspect of the paranormal would be fun and different. And so I, originally I was just going to uh, write and direct and produce it with Dale, but uh, I wound up hosting it or co-hosting it with my friend Holly Stevens, too. So I wound up, you know, producer, writer, director, um, and host, which the host, the ghost host, which was not the original intention. But as it turned out, we, we sort of decided the original host, while they were very serious sort of about their ghost hunting, um, as you would know, with television, particularly reality television, a lot of it has to do with the personalities that are in front of the camera. And they're lovely, they were lovely people. They just weren't very personable on camera. Too serious, probably, in a good way. So, you know, if you want serious ghost investigators, they're the people to call. If you want a couple of crazy, sort of off-the-wall characters who are also serious and also interested in the subject, but, you know... Um, well, that was Holly and I, so we wound up kind of taking over and hosting the series. And um, yeah, no, it was uh, you know I sort of call it a wild ride, partly because Holly's nuts, um, but so am I. But you know, we went to all sorts of interesting places, met interesting people, mm -hmm. and unlike the UFO stuff, where it had always been sitting down. You know, I would be here, you would be there, I'd interview you. I'd construct a narrative based on witness accounts and everything. But as we talked about in the last episode a couple of weeks ago, I've never seen a UFO. So it wasn't a, it was very much a, a historical documentary kind of thing. It's great. I love doing that stuff. The ghost thing was different. We would get that. I'd interview you about your experience. I'd go um, talk to other people about it. But then I insisted, and we, we created it this way that it had to be very experiential. Kind of the Scooby-Doo haunted house thing. Can you spend a night in a haunted house? I mean, I think we all sort of like that that idea. We all grew up with it watching television shows or reading stories about people who would, I've invited 12 of my friends to come to my haunted mansion. Whoever can get through the night inherits the million dollars. Well, Holly and I didn't get a million dollars. Definitely didn't get a million dollars. But the idea was that we would spend that night in a haunted house or a haunted, allegedly haunted location and see what happened. See if we could have a direct personal experience. And as it turned out, we had several personal experiences. Sometimes we'd go to a place, nothing would happen. Hold that thought. I'm going to tell people we're speaking with folks just joining us. Settle in. Get the coffee going. Get the tea going. If you're driving on the 401, ease off the gas pedal ever so slightly, and we're going to check out a great ride tonight. We're going to be talking about ghosts. That's right. And also vampires, with none other than Paul Kimball has returned, as you remember last time. Paul Kimball's a filmmaker from Nova Scotia. He, uh, as you can tell by his hat, it's called Red Star Films. He produced a terrific documentary, and we discussed it last time, called 
Uh, best Evidence Top 10 UFO Sightings. Tonight we're going to be looking at another show he's produced called Ghost Cases. <laughs> and it gets eternal kisses. Vampire. Oh my god. Uh, Paul's been up for quite a while tonight, folks, and uh, he's a little bit punchy, and that's great. It's going to make for a great show. So settle in, put your feet up. Here we go. Um, you said you had some ghost experiences. Well, as, as fans of the show know that watched your previous show, you never saw a UFO, but you saw ghosts or ghosts? Well, you know, what is a ghost? That's an interesting question, too. It was called Ghost Cases, and they were supposedly haunted places. But as we talked about in the last show, that idea um, of the other, of an advanced non-human intelligence, of something. I, I don't have any answers. Even after 13 episodes of doing Ghost Cases, I can't tell you that it's Great Aunt um, Myrtle coming from the beyond or, or whatever. I, I don't know. All I know is that things happen to us, um, none of which fit the stereo you know i never saw a lady in white floating down the hallway so that kind of, i didn't see casper so that kind of ghost experience didn't happen so what happened then all sorts of strange stuff i mean we might depending on which day you ask me i have a different favorite story today my favorite story happens to be uh saint edith saint edith's church in shocklack which is it's not even a town it's it's a collection of well, there is a town of Shocklack, but about three or four miles outside town, the middle of nowhere near the Welsh border with England, there's this very old church. It's, it dates, I think, from the 14th century, maybe the 13th century, but it's hundreds and hundreds of years old, long before even Columbus, or well, before Columbus got here, certainly before we were here. So when we think, oh, this building in Halifax is 200 years, it's very old. Yeah, it's nothing compared to a church like St. Edith's. So there's a cemetery, there's a church, it's a wonderful looking old um, church. And the guy, we were working with a couple of friends of mine in a group called the Unknown Phenomena Investigation Association. Pretty sure I got that right. I almost always mess that up. Anyway, UPIA for short. If you Google UPIA, um, they'll pop up. Very good guys, a guy named Dave Sadler and a guy named Steve Mayer in particular were the two that we were working with for four episodes. We went to England to do four episodes. And Dave had been to this uh, cemetery and this church many times. We didn't get inside the church. We went there. It was closed. It was the exterior of the church. He'd had a number. Dave's a very skeptical guy. So when Dave tells me that he thinks this place has the wow factor, as they say on um, storage wars, the wow factor, I, I, you know, like, and he says he's experienced stuff. He doesn't like saying the term paranormal. Even the term paranormal makes him go, hmm. So when he says he experiences something, was it paranormal, Dave? Well, there was a girl who started here and suddenly appeared at the other edge of the church, you know, the daughter of one of my friends. Um, well, that's paranormal, Dave. That's like a 35-second sort of run for a little kid. Well, I don't know if it's paranormal, Paul. Dave, it's paranormal. Yeah, no, I guess it is kind of paranormal. That's a place I want to go to. Because, you know, time slips, there were um, audio anomalies that people had reported there, all sorts of stuff. So anyway, we go, we do what we always do, which is uh, a walkthrough on the location. Holly and I get in a fight. No, wait, that was after the show. Um, we split up into groups anyway. I, I joke about Holly. Holly, if you're in BC, she lives in BC now. If you're watching this, love you. And so we, we split up. After, and 
You see oh, now, they, uh, Paul, you know, that's a bad thing to do because, they, as they always say, never split up. And yet, inevitably, they always split up. And you know what happens at that point? Yeah, crazy stuff. Crazy stuff happens. Um, you know, the long and the short of it is the first person to get hit, I'll call it get hit by weirdness, was Holly. The sun hadn't even gone down. And Holly was standing in a particular area near the church unbeknownst to us, where other people had reported weird sensations. So there's a scene, and you can go to our website. I think I have this episode up. Uh, If it's not on our website, uh, it is on the Internet. I did post this. So the case of the haunted graveyard, I think, or whatever. Um, And you get to the website, obviously, through your site. Steve Mara comes over and says, you know, oh, hello, Holly. You know, it seems like you're a bit out of sorts. What's the problem? And she says, I, she's really kind of, she, she has a bachelor's degree in biology. She's a very intelligent, sensitive, sensible person. But she's really weirded out. And she said, I just get this feeling. And I heard the sound of horses on cobblestones, clip, clop, clip, clop, which was one of the stories that we had heard. There is, there's nothing that can make that sound. We suss the fields and everything out. There's a muddy sort of track path that goes by. You can see in the episodes, like, could it have been oh, actual something, a cow, a horse, from these fields over here walking along, and we cut to a picture of, well, if uh, you can make a cobblestony kind of sound in that mud, I guess, but no. And, uh, and there were cows, but they were far away. So she was weirded out by this, and Steve goes, well, this is the place, you know, people have reported hearing it, kind of here. And then Dave Sadler comes over and says, what you've told me is exactly, oh, if Dave ever sees this, he'll go nuts. He's like, what you tell me is exactly what dozens of other people have told me. And, you know, the same, this feeling of just being out of sorts and weirdness. Okay, so nothing's happened to me yet, and nothing's happened to Dave yet, or Steve, or anybody else. But Holly gets hit first. I go off. The sun's starting to set. It's pretty much down. And um, from the Welsh border, you can see the sky is not completely dark because there is some illumination from a town miles and miles away. You know, like a night sky, the moon, I believe, was at least at half. So, there's a, you know, it's not totally pitch dark. And uh, I'm, I sit myself down at the back of the church, or it could have been the front. I was never sure about that. And there's a little bench there and a little alcove. And the crew was off filming one of the other people doing something. And all of a sudden, I, I was looking up into the night sky, and I saw what I have since described, in my, this is how I relate to it, a science fiction sort of fan, uh, a portal opening. So if you've got a sky that is, I don't know, try, oh, here we go. If you've got a, Michio Kaku's book Vision, if you've got a sky that's like that dark, then all of a sudden, uh, ah, Paul Kimball, by the way, folks, we're talking about his series called Ghost Cases, and he's taking us through one that took place in England right now. Sorry, Paul. so no, no, no worries. You've got this guy like this, and then all of a sudden, something pops up in front of it and then disappears. But it's like the teddy bear to the book, it's clearly di- or uh, to the wall, it's clearly discernible against the background. It, you know, it's not a it's not a teddy bear. It's not a. It's not an owl or something. It's. It's literally. We, we had an animator do a reasonably lousy job of recreating it on a low budget, but like, and then, 
So that, I didn't tell anyone about that. How come? Because I come from the school of thought that says, I don't want to look like a complete idiot. You know, that sounds crazy. I'm the skeptical guy. I don't want to seem like a nut who saw portals in the sky. But my co-producer, Dale Stevens, who I'd mentioned before, wanders over and he says, you're not going to believe what I just saw over there in a different spot. And I went, um, I don't know, what did you see? And he said, well, it was, he described it slightly differently, but it was, you know, black, the sky's here, and then it suddenly, I won't bring the teddy bear back, it suddenly got black, and, it, oh, no, he's over there. And he didn't describe it as a portal, but it was exactly, he was talking about what I saw. And I said, well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, because you saw it over there, guess what I saw, I don't know, about 10 minutes over there. And he went, oh, well, got to get the camera crew over and interview you. And I was still, um, if you think I'm hyper now, I was like hyper. You can watch the episode and go, like, I'm like hyper. This is wow, crazy stuff. Were you frightened? Were you? No, no, not at all. For one thing, I was surrounded by, you know, in various places and different away from me. But, you know, it's like, help, I'm being abducted by aliens or something. Uh, no, I wasn't frightened at all. I was intrigued. I was fascinated. I was, it's like, this is cool. Now, if, you know, if Hulu had walked out of the hall, yeah, I'd probably be a little frightened. But um, it was just this, this, I call it a void. It was like a void in the sky. And uh, so now I've been hit. And my co-producer, Dale, has been hit. Um, Steve Merritt gets hit, uh, I think, about an hour later. He reports seeing lights in the cemetery. So he's at, at the far end of the cemetery by himself. Everybody else is kind of floating around in different places. We actually did a little bit of science, or at least investigative reporting, because he reports seeing these these lights near the to, these tombstones. Well, the only plausible explanation we can come up with is we all have uh, flashlights or torches, as they say in the United Kingdom. And so he says, "Look, we know where everybody was, except for Dale Stevens, the co-producer, and co-director and co-writer too." He was down in the far end of the cemetery in the other end. Everybody else was on the other side of the church, couldn't possibly have been responsible. Their light couldn't go over. But Dale, maybe Dale shone his light up here and it bounced off the tombstone. Strange as that sounds. Well, let's go check. So we go find Dale. We say, where were you about five minutes? Well, always down here. Turn around, flash the light. No. There's, you know, for many different reasons, there's no way the flashlight could have caused that. Fine, Steve, you've been hit. And Steve's like, right, I'd heard this place was odd. Now I know. Um, you know, these lights. Uh, our camera, our sound guy, put new batteries in his sound equipment when he went in there. These are uh, batteries that you should have gotten us through the entire night and probably the next episode, too. Drained in 20 minutes. He, You know, there's a thing of him um, on his knees, quite um, sort of like, we need to go talk to whoever we bought these from because we need a refund. And he's like, rah, rah. and what? what happened? Well, I just put new batteries in and the darn thing that it's gone, it's gone. And they did it again, gone again. And so you hear reports of um, energy drains, for lack of a better thing, in a lot of these cases. Bingo. Uh, his name's Dale Leckie. Dale, you've been hit, too. So, and then, the sort of the, the coup de grace. Now, remember, earlier in the evening, Holly had heard the horse's hoofs and weirded her out. So did I. But I didn't tell anyone. So I finally, after the void thing and everything, and I kind of said, you know what, this is getting pretty weird. I think I'm going to go, because Holly was still weirded out. I think I'll try and make her feel better, but I'll, I'll tell her, you know, like I heard them too in the same place at a slightly different time, but around the same time. 
you can watch the episode. Her reaction is worth the price of admission, folks, which is free, but still, even if we were charging, it's worth the price of it. She's like, why didn't you say something? And so we're having a moment, and uh, and then we both, at that, like, we we hear it. Both of us at the same time, then hear clip clock. And so I look at her and I go, did you? And she goes, did you? you the horse? You got, yes, you heard it right now? Oh, yeah. Okay, so now did we both... Did the camera have, capture it as well? No, at that particular time, the camera was off, I believe, filming um, Dave and Steve, the British guys. And so I had just kind of wandered. I had nothing better to do. I wandered over because Holly was standing in that spot hours later still trying to commune with the forces of good or evil and uh, trying to make sense of what she felt and heard so she kept going back to that same spot so i went look i know you feel i'm gonna go tell you that you're not the only you're not nuts i heard it too and as we're there talking and she's about to hit me we both heard it again at the same time and this time lasted slightly longer and that i believe was the last weird thing that happened that night but you're, you know, voids in the sky, multiple, two different witnesses in two different places at different times seeing something like that. The audio anomaly, Steve with the lights. Uh, nothing actually happened to Dave Sadler from the UPI, UPIA, but he's been there at other times with time slips. And the, the, it's one of those places where you walk out, as we talked about in the last episode, I have no answers. I have theories, and we, you know, you can go back to the last episode and hear me ramble on about my new age stuff. Um, and just take that theory and put it onto this case too. The idea of communication. Yeah. Maybe we were being—it's—it's it's some sort of performance art. Hey, let's—you know—like we're in a video game or something. Let's watch these guys. Let's give them stimuli and see how they react. And it's this—it's like going to a Cirque du Soleil show in Vegas, I, which is a pretty good example. I went to see um, Mystere, which was the original Cirque du Soleil show. They have like eighty in Vegas now. Um, you know, Cirque du Soleil dogs and certain whatever but the original show which is the best one that i've seen still is kind of like this weird surrealistic circus thing taking place on a stage with people climbing walls and sound a lot there's no dialogue really but it's sound and light and movement and imagery anyway i went once with a friend of mine actually the narrator uh from best evidence chris mcbride and i were in vegas uh as part of a ufo tour and we're sitting in the front row of the second section so there's the the main section, stage, stage, main section, and we're back, there's a walkway, you know, sort of the, mm -hmm. it's kind of like the concourse separator. <laughs> I'll never forget this. So here we are. And the show is always going on. There's always something happening on the stage. But all of a sudden, this guy in a fluorescent cat suit had crawled along the walkway. We didn't know he was there. And he literally popped up right in front of us. And she, I've never seen anybody that freaked out. She, Chris was like, ah! And everyone around kind of reacted, and I jumped, but he, she scared him. You could see the guy, the cat guy, going, oh, she's, sorry, lady, I'm really sorry, I, I didn't mean to. But that's that kind of interactive. If you go to a Cirque du Soleil show like that, you realize the perform, you're part of the show. That's right. So part of me looks at a case like the, uh, the St. Edith, Edith's Church case, or the Shocklack case, as I call it, the UK, and go, were we part of the show? Is that the equivalent of the cat guy jumping up at the Cirque du Soleil thing? Voids, sounds, everything. And then to, to make us aware that there is this other intelligence out there and it is interacting with us and getting us thinking and getting us, um, in, in the case of me with the Void or, or Holly, you know, weirding us out, but all part of the performance. 
like you know um, the old Bruce Springsteen video when he pulls Courtney Cox, yeah, but if he had pulled yeah, the yeah. non-planned thing up Dancing on stage, Bono at Live Aid when he pulled the girls out of the crowd doing bad and just danced with them, you know, that made U2's career as far as I'm concerned. And that kind of interaction with the crowd, I often, I often wonder if something like that, were we the crowd? And whatever was there was interacting with us and pulling us into the play. And so we're observing some of it, but we're also becoming part of it, too. Paul Kimball tonight, folks, if you're just joining us, we're talking about his series called Ghost Cases. Uh, we're going to be talking about his feature film, Eternal Kiss, very shortly, about um, uh, vampires, of course, and, and all things spooky. Fans of the show will, will remember Paul was here several weeks ago. We were talking about his documentary, uh, top 10 UFO sightings. Easy way to get to his website, www.nightfrightshow.com. Just click on the picture associated with tonight's guests, and that'll take you right to his website where there's a wealth of information there. Uh, all kinds of free videos for you to watch for free, as uh, Paul said last time. Now, this is very interesting that you mentioned the fact because you're a filmmaker, that uh, you want, that you think that they want people to interact with them in the same sense that you're a filmmaker. Now, do you think that there are parallels there you can draw upon uh, in, in terms Absolutely. of communication? Okay, let's talk about those. Let's go in that direction. Sure. Well, there's, there's a couple of different types of films you can make. You can make a Michael Bay film where things blow up real good and there's hot looking chicks and all the bells and whistles of modern filmmaking. And here's the story, A to B. And by the way, in case you didn't get the A to B part, we're going to hammer you over the head with the story so there's no possible mistake. You can't possibly mistake that these giant robots from another planet are here to cause trouble. That's the story. That's a Michael Bay film. I guess, you know, there's, if, if you just want to turn your mind off and watch the show, fine. There are better films... There are other films out there where you go, what the heck? The Sixth Sense is a pretty good example. They give you the punchline at the end. But when you're sitting through that film, eventually you view it as a continuum. If you start at point A and you know nothing about what's going on, hey, Bruce Willis, psychiatrist. The time you get to the end of the film when they do tell you, hey, he's dead. You know, the kid really does see dead people and you're one of them. Somewhere along that way, you can put 50 people in that theater and they some won't get it until it's revealed some will have an idea as the film goes along wait a second now is Bruce Willis's character actually dead? I don't know maybe um, but that I'm thinking that's a possibility to me that's how the, with the paranormal you kind of we're at a continuum where I don't think we've reached the punchline yet we're in the movie some people come up with different ideas about what's going on it's what made M. Night Shyamalan a great filmmaker for his first two films, and then he kind of lost the plot. It's the kind of thing that all great filmmakers from Orson Welles right up to the modern era, um, you know, pick whoever your favorite, Chris, Nol uh, Chris Nolan, um, who's done a wonderful job with the Batman films, but was making films like Memento and following before that, lower budget films, which were really, you'd have to wait until you got to the end of the film to really understand what was what had been going on. A film like The Adjustment Bureau. You could walk out of the adjustment, which is mainstream entertainment. It's got Matt Damon and, um, and a, a number of good supporting actors, but so there's a star in it. 
you can walk out of that film and have a very real conversation about okay who is who are the monitors who are these guys is that god or is it were they aliens or that you can have a conversation about what about free will inception i can go down shutter island i can go down and give a whole bunch of recent examples of films where even though the filmmaker gives you an answer at the end i if you're the filmmaker i could interview and say what do you think the answer at shutter island is um is leonardo dicaprio's character um whoops sorry i'm sorry i thought i turned that off Um, don't worry about it is leonardo dicaprio's character um willingly like he knows Mm -hmm. that he's insane or is he just really insane? I mean, there's a whole bunch of different things going on. I had a different interpretation than the person I walked out with. Saw the same movie. I'm sure Scor- uh, Scorsese would give one answer. Everybody else has a different answer. That, to me, is what the paranormal is. When I show up at a place like Shocklack and have all that happening, we can all walk out, all of us who were there. You ask Dave Sadler or Holly Stevens or Steve Mara or any of us, we might all have different interpretations on what it means. Holly might say, well, I think it really was a ghost. Steve Mara might say, well, I think it might have been a poltergeist. Whatever name you hang on it, I just call it weird. And I I say there's a form of intelligence interacting with us. And I believe the, the purpose, as we talked about before and as we're talking about now, is partly entertainment, partly a show. It's it's a performance art. And but with a with an idea of communicating something to us. And I don't know what Where do you communica- draw a, a line between manipulation though? And yeah. I don't think it's manip. I know Jacques Vallée has talked about that deception, manipulation. I don't see that um, because it would be fairly easy to manipulate us in different ways if it wanted to. I don't feel manipulated. Uh, what I take from it, and I think everybody takes a different thing, is I walk out of that cemetery going, "Huh, all right, maybe everything I thought I knew about this world, this life, us, all of this, maybe, well, I." As I said before, I have more questions than answers. But maybe I need to. Here's another question I need to add on the pile. Something else that I need to think about. And I think it does get back to if you want to call make getting us to think, manipulating us. Sure. But I think it's designed to get us to think. If this is the way we would normally think, you know, like this, I think they're trying to broaden our horizons slowly but surely. Maybe one person at you know one person at a time in different ways too. I, I we didn't talk about this before. Uh, but I, I meant to mention it. I also think it happens in our dreams, that mm-hmm. our subconscious. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people who have very vivid dreams. I, I've had them myself. I think that's another way where it can come in and communicate with us. Leave, and dreams are a form of abstract art, frankly. I mean, it's like, ah, this happened and this happened. A giant bat came down and ate my cat. And um, there was a naked girl dancing over here in a volcano. What does that mean? I don't know. But, you know, it sounds interesting. Freud would know, you see. Well, Freud, yeah, maybe he'd know or maybe he wouldn't know. Volcano would be your mother or your father? I don't know, whatever. A little bit of both. But it's. I think it's all part of, like, the Cirque du Soleil show. You can go see the Cirque du Soleil show, and everybody in that theater will walk out having taken something slightly different from it. But what they will take is they were entertained, they were involved, they think. They were, yeah. they were given, and, and they're not manipulating you at Cirque du Soleil. They're not trying to lead you to a particular conclusion, or other than maybe come see the rest of our shows at different theaters. But what they're trying to do is just give you a good show, but as you walk out, go, wow, 
we hope you think. I, we hope this has stimulated thought in you about who you are, who this person is, who we all are. And uh, having seen the show three times now, that particular show, Mystere, every time I walk out with something different, and it makes, it does, it makes me think. That's what great entertainment, that's what great art does, and I think that's what the UFOs and the ghosts, all of that might be related to, to doing that for us. Paul Kimball, folks, and you know, Paul, it's often said that good art uh, is when people discuss it after it's over. And yep. uh, I thoroughly believe that as well. We're talking about Paul's art tonight as well uh, as all things paranormal. In specific, we're talking about his show called Ghost Cases. And we're going to be talking about his feature film, Eternal Kiss, which is about vampires. Uh, fans of the show will know uh, last time he was on, we talked about best evidence, top 10 UFO sightings. Easy way, as always, folks, to get to uh, people's websites, people's books, etc. Just go to the www.nightfrightshow.com website. Click on the picture associated with tonight's guest. That'll take you right to... In Paul's case, right to his website, and um, there's a wealth of information there you'll be able to get. And his company's called Red Star Films, by the way. Um, let's go back to uh, ghost cases. Now, you said you weren't frightened, um, but yet Holly was. So there's that different uh, dichotomy there. One person's frightened from something that they, they see as threatening, perhaps. Another person like yourself, is more in the exploratory. What is that? So perhaps that was the correct way of interpreting what was taking place? I don't think, I wouldn't say Holly was frightened. Okay. Um, and if I did, I think she'd book a ticket all the way back to the East Coast from BC and throttle me. Um, I think she was weirded out. She was okay. out of sorts. There's no question you can say, maybe a little bit of fear, but I not frightened. I apologize. Um, there was another episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was another episode where, well, she's not going to kill you. She'll come back and kill me, so I'm just I'm, make, I'm covering my bases here. Um, there was another episode where I was, there's no question I was frightened because uh, uh, I, I left. There, it was um, the case of the baby in the basement. It's not like a Hardy Boys series or something, but uh, we were at a haunted, allegedly haunted farmhouse in rural Nova Scotia, and we had a psychic with us, very long story short, um, a lot of paranormal activity reported in the basement. And this this is a, it was cold, it was February of 2009, uh, isolated. So what you had to do is, if this is the house, visual aids again. So they're in the house. To get to the basement, it's not like a basement in my parents' house where you can walk down from the kitchen. Uh, you had to go outside, walk around, and there was a root cellar door so and then you go down this, these crooked little stairs and it's they weren't locked but dead spiders everywhere and cobwebs freezing cold so there I am I, I walk around we had uh, the camera crew stayed upstairs with Holly and the psychic so I'm in the basement alone I thought it was a good idea at the time and they start doing this um, automatic writing session where the psychic starts writing on the paper uh, and by the way I'm very skeptical of all psychics I'm not skeptical of psychic phenomenon. I believe that we it's part of being able to tap in to the other or whatever. I believe that can Communication happen. again. Yeah. But every time I see a psychic, I'm always very skeptical of them because I've seen too many that charge three ninety nine an hour. Okay. So Fair this one, Kelly Muse, is not one of those. And uh, we've worked with her before. She seemed credible. She certainly seemed she's a nice person. And she wasn't charging anyone any money to do this. So I, I gave her a bit of a an instantaneous pass 
all right, let's just see where this goes. So she's up doing automatic writing with Holly. Holly's, what do you know, what's going on? Um, blah, blah, blah. There's baby, baby in the basement. Unbeknownst to them, me alone in the basement with a, a mini DV camera, because the high def guys were upstairs. I'd set up a mini DV camera, door behind me, sitting on the stairs, kind of waxing poetic about my life and, you know, how my brother used to steal my money or whatever it was. Uh, no, it was a little more profound than that. Um, and so the, the camera stationary, I can hear them, though, through the floor. So I can get bits and pieces of what they're saying. And I hear, you can see me in the show. Um, I can hear them upstairs. And they're t- baby in the basement. And then we cut back to them. Is there a baby in the basement? Uh, maybe somebody should go down and say, Paul's in the basement. Well, why don't we ask the baby to go down and talk to Paul? No. And you see me going, no, I don't want to talk to the dead baby. Don't send the dead baby down here. Stop it. And Holly's like, yes, send the dead baby down to Paul. And so I I can hear this. I've been down there for 40 minutes. I'm freezing my butt off. This, and by the way, this farmhouse is out in the middle of nowhere. There's no gang of kids who are going to play a practical joke on me or anything. So I'm sitting there, door behind me up here. You can see the whole thing. All of a sudden, the door goes, and I will add a sound effect that didn't actually happen. Wow. Like this. It opens up behind me. And then I hear it, boom. You know, it kind of, uh, it hits a, because it's it's not like the door you'd find in a, a rich person's house in L.A. It's It's got the ground. There's no, it hits a knock in the ground, a little piece of dirt, and stops. Doesn't open all the way. I look around and go, well, that's weird. And I get up and I look, and the door, when it only opens out, when we had come in originally, the, there was a, if you closed it, it stuck. It was a very sort of, you had to give it a good yank. There was no wind. Um, there had been wind earlier. I knew what it sounded like gusting. It hadn't blown the door open. Uh, there was. I thought the crew was playing a practical joke. I thought I'd go out there and find that the camera guy or Dale Stevens, my co-producer, staying there going, <laughs> freaked out. Nobody. Nobody out there. There was a dog about 50 yards away. They had their, they had a dog tied up, and the dog could not have gotten there and, and done this. So I'm just standing out there in the freezing cold in the middle of the night going, what the heck? At the same time as they were saying, if there's a dead baby in the basement, go down and talk to Paul. So I have absolutely no problem admitting I didn't go back in the basement. I Yes, I was frightened. Now, being a good television professional, as you know that I am, they were still filming in the house. So I realized if I walked into the house, I would I didn't know what was going on, but I might like break the shot. Something very profound might be happening. So I stood outside for another 40 minutes talking to myself and the dog um, alone because I wouldn't go back in the basement, but I wouldn't go into the house because I wanted to wait until somebody came out to get me so then I'd know that the filming was done. I froze my butt off, but and it was really cold. But I preferred freezing my butt off to going back into that basement. So I happily admit I was a coward. Uh, I had no desire to go back in that basement at all. They come out, they find me standing there, they go, Oh, what are you doing here, Paul? Uh, and then I kind of tell them the story. Like, bah! you know, now they think I'm kidding. So we get out, we get the camera, we rewind the tape, and we're all sitting there in the house going, and, and the production, I can't say on, on your show what the production manager's choice, you know, it's like, holy! But she summed it up for all of us, like, Hollywood. I said, yeah, that was, and that's why I'm standing out talking to the dog, because I'm not going back in the basement. Is that a ghost? Is it a poltergeist? Is Who knows what that is? Was it anything? May, you know, disbelievers would look at that and say, well, the wind blew it open. I discount that because I was there 
and I know that the wind had been far, you know, it, I discount that. Can I say that that absolutely was not what it was? I can't say absolutely anything. But in my mind, I know what was going on upstairs. You can see it in the episode, which again, I think is on the, I'm pretty sure I've uploaded it. It's available online somewhere. Case of the baby in the basement. And you can see this interaction. What's happening upstairs with what I'm hearing downstairs and then the door. A lot of moving parts to that. But yeah, there, there's a punchline at the end of that, and that's me leaving the basement. And so, yeah, you were talking about being frightened. It wasn't Holly that was frightened. I There was one case I saw her, she was genuinely frightened. Um, but it was more often than not me. It wasn't in, by the time we got to this British cemetery, it was a few months later, and I think most of my fear had kind of, I'd sort of, yeah, I'd come to terms with weird stuff happening, and I wasn't afraid anymore. But the baby in the basement case was one of the first episodes we did, and I, you know, yeah, plus the circumstances, it was, it was genuinely, yeah. Creepy. Creepy. Creepy, yeah. What's unique about that series? The series that you're in, we're talking about right now, by the way, folks, is called Ghost Cases. What's unique about that as compared to all the other? They all seem to be generic at this point. You know, you always see that green screen up there. Not a green screen, but uh, the night vision camera, or it's black and white, and they hear a, a bang and a noise. Nothing ever comes of it, but this they all seem to be very generic at this point. What was unique about your... We didn't do any of that. Uh, so... It was all real. I I mean, I did need a job. I said earlier, you know, I I will take gigs for money, but I won't take any gig for money. It has to interest me, and I have to like the people I'm working with. Mm -hmm. I did like Holly. Um, You know, Dale and I got along. He had the same sort of vision for the show. We we had differences, but basically we wanted to do the same kind of show. And when when I first went in to meet with the guys from the network, they said, well, how do, you, how do you envision doing the show? And I think they had this idea that we would do ghost hunters. Boom, 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 green cameras. And, you know, we had the small mini, we have a couple of, we had shots. We put little cameras around, stationary cameras. And in one case, we picked up, I, I, I don't buy the orb thing. I never have. I thought you can explain them all. But there was one that I can't explain because of the circumstances of the case. And, and maybe we'll get a chance. I don't know. Um, but... So we had those little but we didn't have the fake night vision cameras and all that. And we, I, I just made it very clear. I said, Dale, I'm not going to fake anything. I'm not going to fake, once I started hosting, I said, I'm not going to fake being afraid or fake being interested. It is what it is. And, you know, it's television. We edit, and there's, there's shorthand. So I'm not going to say this is a pure documentary of every second. You know, we would spend hours at a location. But everything that happened was absolutely real. And our reactions were real. These are two real people. We, um, we would jokingly call ourselves uh, um, Mully and Skulder because, you know, the Mulder uh, and Scully. So it was, I was Mully and she was Skulder. And Holly and I were, were, very, were very good friends. So you have these two friends who just want to go out and see what happens. And fortunately, we had a camera crew in tow with us. And uh, I had a co-producer, Dale Stevens, who was keen and okay with that. And we had a network who let us do whatever we want, frankly, um, because they don't air a whole lot of independent programming. You know, they have shows like Fishing with Friends, which is a guy, it's a lovely show, but it's a guy standing in a river fishing. So, you know, this was something new for them, real television. And they, uh, I don't work, we, I don't do this show anymore, so I can say something like that. But 
Yeah, it was it was a it was a step into more of the real TV network for a regional network like Eastlink. And so I told him when we went in, I said, I'm not we're not going to do ghost hunters because everybody does ghost hunters. Mm -hmm. We're not going to fake it. We're going to do a documentary, and I'm going to shoot it. We're going to shoot it like a documentary. So it's not going to be like this, like a reality show. It's going to be more like this. And we, we, we're not going to give your viewers the answers. We're going to give them questions. And we're going to let people make up their own mind. And we're going to treat people who are watching the show like they're not junior high school students. Well, wait, I'm insulting junior high school students. And no, I my niece just My niece just yeah. started junior high. They're not preschoolers. We're going, to go. we're going to treat them like they're adults. And I think... Every I, I have people. I haven't done the show. It's been two years now. I still there's a checkout lady at the Sobies where I do my shopping around the corner, and she knows she knows me. So she says, "You're the ghost." And every time I go there, she wants to talk to me about the series. And the people, you know, people in the line are like, mm. but um, sometimes she's working the late shift, and I'm there. I've had 20 minute conversations with her because there's no one else around at three in the morning when I'm shopping, and she's she's fast. I run into a lot of other people like that. Flattering. And it, it really, it's really sort of, it's been very interesting. I did, um, I was at HalCon, which is the local science fiction convention here every year. And uh, an old friend of mine helps run it, asked me to come in at the last minute to run a workshop, a lecture. So I thought, fine, sure, I got nothing better to do. I'll come in and talk about ghosts and UFOs. Never got to the UFO part. Started talking about, first of all, I was up against a Klingon. The guy who played General Martok on Star Trek was there. He was one of the super wow. guest stars. J.G. Hertzler, I think his name is. And next door, he was running a workshop on how to be a Klingon. So, look, nobody's coming. And they had other things going on in the big hall, in the dealer's room. And nobody's coming to my lecture. I'll have six people there. Who wants to come see this? They didn't even have me, I don't think, in the program. The place was packed. There were wow. 75. You couldn't. There were people standing up. There's even a guy dressed like Stans from Ghostbusters, which I thought was cool. And they just... All, like ghosts, I never even got to UFOs because questions and a dialogue and there were yeah. some disbelievers yeah. and believers and bounce and, and I, I did the baby in the basement case, I told him about that I ran It's okay, that Paul, I'm looking at the time I don't think we're going to get the vampires either so keep going. I want to ask you though what are the uphill battles of getting a show like this on our national broadcaster? Well, as I throw that out there very, very succinctly which national, you mean any of the mainstream networks? Yeah, well, it's, I'm thinking of the one that should be out there promoting Canadian content and ah. uh, starts with a C and ends with a C. Well, there's, you know, the CBC wouldn't be a network that you would do a show like Ghost Cases for. It's just Why not? It's just not their mandate. Their mandate, even in the halcyon days of the CBC, you wouldn't expect to see a show like that. There are other networks, and the great thing, there are upsides and downsides to the specialty channel universe that we live in now, which is really a phenomenon in the last 10 to 15 years. You get networks like Space. Now, Space does a lot fewer documentaries than they did when I started. Most of my early docs and the UFOs were all for Space. You get the History Channel. You know, you have, I think, Ghost Hunters from the U.S. Outdoor Life Network, for some reason, programs them. But you have all of these places where you can go it doesn't have to be the cbc the cbc can do what it does and i have a problem with what it does but it, it, the problem isn't that they won't air ghost cases or ghost shows that's fine the real problem is that with all of these i don't think people understand how television works there's a pot of money 
some of it's government, some of it's from the private sector, subsidies, all sorts of stuff in Canada. It's a pot of money. It hasn't gotten any bigger. But when they created all of these new television stations, all of a sudden, yes, you have a lot more shows, but you don't have any more money. So all it, it's like a cake. Instead of five pieces of the cake, now you've got 50 pieces, and those budgets keep getting smaller and smaller. So on the one hand, glass half empty, or, or glass half full, more opportunities. So in the pre-specialty channel universe, I couldn't have done these UFO documentaries. I, CBC, CTV, they, they wouldn't commission stuff like that. They still don't. In the post-specialty channel universe with space and history, sure, lots of opportunities. That's for Canadians? Half- for Canadians? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why I've been in business for 12 years. I mean, uh, I couldn't... CRTC rules, there's CanCon requirements. Even if they don't want to air Canadian content, they have to. And they have to commission independent Canadian content. The downside is budgets have continually gotten tighter and tighter and tighter. And I know if you tell somebody that we shot a documentary for $120,000, they'll go, oh my God, that's a lot of money. It is. Um, But I can itemize for you where all of it goes. And not a whole lot of that, uh, I'm not going to cry poverty, but not a whole, you know, it's like producers aren't getting rich. There's a reason why I became a director. I'm not trained in it. I needed to do more than one thing in order to make a living. So many of us became producer, right? And it worked out. Producer, writer, director, editor. I eventually learned how to use Media 100 and edit my own films. It's a wonderful thing. It allows me to really control the story. But there was a financial reason for doing it, which is I have to do all these things. I can't just be a producer. Now, I was cool with that because I used to manage a band and play in a band and write the songs. I love that stuff. But there's an awful lot of producers from an an older generation who couldn't make that transition. So there's good and bad in it. Um, but, uh, you know, like with a series like Ghost Cases, uh, I'm not even going to tell you what our budget was on that, but let me tell you, they're probably, I went to L.A. and we were talking, I was talking to producers down there who wanted, they knew I had done a ghost show, and they had a couple of people who used to be involved with one of the ghost shows in the U.S., I won't say which one, and they were looking to do a new show with them as the host. So a friend of mine set up this meeting with this other guy, Nothing ever came of it, but we're sitting there having lunch and just chatting. And he said, look, you, you could be the guy. You could direct and help us produce it. Sure. Yeah, no, I'd love to. said, well, you know, what was your budget? That was his question. And uh, I said, I think I said about 450000 I was guessing. And he said, eh, per episode, it's ballpark. And I said, per episode? That's the series. And not all of that was real money. Some of that was in kind. And he just looked at me, and he almost spit up his coffee. and said, what? You, what? So you did the quick math, and went, per episode, oh, my God, what kind of car do you drive? You're clearly not driving the same kind of car that I am. So now I got a seven-year-old Honda. But, and, and they, they were mind, to, to them, the mind boggled that you could do a television series and do it reasonably well for anything less than, you know, a couple of million bucks. Just like, wow, that's crazy talk. And, uh, you know, in Canada, we were forced to get by and do things a little differently. But I think that allows us to, it, it forces us to be a little more independent. And um, it's kind of like the red-green school of television making. I don't know how I'm going to fix this, but give me some duct tape. And, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of duct tape filmmaking up here. But I, I kind of like it. It's like you sort of ride on the edge of the knife. It's, it's good. They're, they're, they're a little too cushy down in the U.S.
Okay. Paul Kimball, folks, he's a filmmaker, obviously, from uh, Nova Scotia. We're talking about some of the products that he's put out, uh, Ghost Cases, Eternal Kiss, which we're going to get to in two seconds about vampires, and, of course, his best evidence, top 10 UFO sightings, www.nightfreightshow.com, as I'm rushing through this. Just click on tonight's guest's picture associated with tonight's guest. That'll take you right to his website. And there you go. I do with a lot of things with my hands. So what can I tell you? Uh... Eternal Kiss, Vampires. Let's get to Vampires. We've got four minutes left. Uh, it's my first feature film. Um, very low budget in the sense that it, I'll just say it was under a million. And it's, it's the, the vampires are in it. I kind of call them Eternals. But it's a love triangle. Uh, I just use the vampire meme to tell basically a classic love story. You know, like boy meets girl. Girl happens to be vampire other vampire happens to want guy too and bad stuff happens and there may be good stuff at the end but you know these are people have it, it sort of got released to play at the atlantic film festival i did a, a screening it's it's finished and then i've kept it back um because i want to tinker with it a little bit and i've got another larger feature film that's a co-production with the united kingdom that looks to be moving forward over the next few months. When that one's done, then I'll release Eternal Kiss to wide audiences um, and sort of after I have a bigger one in my pocket. But I like Eternal Kiss. People who've watched it, some people get it, um, some people don't. Because they quote Byron. You know, these are characters who in the modern era go around quoting Byron as if it's something you would do normally. Well, I do. I do quote Byron. I mean, you know, if you that's my sort of pickup line in a bar or whatever, you know, it's like tried out some bar and fate, time, occasion, chance, change to these things, uh, to, to these all things are subjects save eternal love. It doesn't work the way you think it would, but that to me is a sign of who I'm uh, telling it to. But you know, it's it's very much an old school vampire film, very uh, the lighting, everything. It was very much designed to be almost like a one critic here called it a chamber piece. And he was—he meant it in a good ways. He gave us a very good review, a, a very good reviewer out here called Ron Fulling McDonald, and um, teaches classes in film. And he said, look, this is a guy who knows something about film. He's drawing, I was drawing my influences from films like The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, the original Dracula, Nosferatu, and, and you know, a bit of a homo, an homage, but a, a modern piece too. And then you've got guys like Jason Eisner out here who make films like Hobo with the Shotgun where uh, crazy hobos run around shooting demon guys. And that's fine. Jason's a good kid, and his film had a much bigger budget, and he had Rucker Howard, and it's, it's fun. It's just not the kind of film I wanted to make. But the nice thing is there's room for all of us to, to, make, um, to make different, interesting films. I will plug uh, a guy named Josh McDonald, director, writer, director named Evan Kelly, did a film called The Corridor. And it's, it's been picked up for distribution now in the U.S., but it's been in a lot of festivals, won awards. It, wonderful film about weird paranormal stuff hmm. and uh, the mind. And, and if you get a chance to see a film, folks, called The Corridor, I would recommend that. It's out there now. It'd probably be on Canadian television, TMN or something very soon. But that, it's a really cool film. I think you'd like it, Brent. It's, uh, it, it's part of that thing where at the end of the film, as we were talking about earlier, you kind of go, oh, I'm not actually sure what the corridor was. And then you can start talking with your friends about, well, what really happened? Was it all in his mind or was it real or is it aliens or whatever? And that, that's, that's an interesting kind of film. Um, and there's a bit of that in Eternal Kiss, although we do give a punchline at the end. 
So, you know, at the end we wrap it up like Sixth Sense or whatever. Um, but that's a theme that I continue to explore. The next one is very much about life and death and love. And uh, we kind of bill it as uh, the Adjustment Bureau meets Shutter Island with a little bit of Inception. So there's supernatural elements and stuff to it, too. It's a wonderful sci-fi fantasy, the supernatural. There's a reason people keep writing in all genres, books, all of it. Um, because it allows us to explore all sorts of things, which is why I like the paranormal. Because, again, it, it forces us to think. I hate the term outside the box, but it does. It forces us to think outside yeah. the box. Fresh new And ideas. examine the possibilities. Exactly. You know, I have that in my uh, my CV somewhere for the show. Actually, we look at possibilities and examine them. So there you go. Uh, yeah. You write your own music as well. Um, I used to be a musician. Uh, I don't... I don't real. I, I retired from the music industry in the late '90s, so I occasionally go busk or pick up a open mic night. But um, I I did put my own music in a film years ago, but since then, uh, you know, I hire other people to do it who are better at it than I am. Fair enough. It's good to know what you're good at and good to know what you're not. There you go, folks. We're going to wrap up now. We've been speaking with Paul Kimball. We've been talking about his uh, his films, his uh, TV products. Uh, Best Evidence is one of them, top 10 UFO sightings. Great documentary was on the uh, Space Channel. Uh, another one, Ghost Cases, and his feature film, Eternal Kiss, which is all about vampires. Easy way to get to his website, www.nightfrightshow.com. Just click on the picture associated with tonight's show. That'll take you right to his website where you can watch all these things for free. Isn't that great? Thank you, Paul. That's terrific. Um, Paul, I want to thank you for being a super trooper and doing two shows back-to-back. That's wonderful. By the way, folks, we change shirts. That's the same day as the first show. That's different shirts. There you go. Yeah. See, uh, we delivered the punchline at the end. See, well, I guess we should have let them, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, I want to thank you again, and uh, please come back. Don't be a stranger. It was a real pleasure, and uh, I-, I like speaking with intelligent folks, and definitely you know, you're one with a vision as well. I'm Brent Holland from Night Fright. Thank you all for joining us. See you next time. You're listening to Night Fright and your host, Brent Holland. Time is now. Your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. (laughs) 